on this episode of AV Week, ISE postpones to June of 2021 and what touchless will mean to AV. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 474, recorded Friday, September 18th, 2020. Nobody knows. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment, and by FSR. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Typically, uh, I would introduce a panel, which I will do in just a second, but we have a special guest because earlier this week, Integrated Systems Europe announced that they would be postponing their signature event, ISE, in Barcelona. This was going to be the first year in Barcelona in February. They are now looking at dates in June of 2021, specifically the 1st to the 4th is when the new, uh, the new dates are. And with us to discuss this development is Managing Director, Mr. Michael Blackman. Welcome, sir. Hi, Tim. Good to see you again and uh, glad to be here again on AV Nation. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. So, so walk me through this. Uh, the, the, the original dates were early uh, February. A uh, couple things, you know, from a, a, a health uh, standpoint, you know, globally, the U.S. is still... Um, kept out of, of, of large parts of the, of the world in general, at least. Uh, I think there's, there's now up to six or seven countries we can go into. Um, but you guys, you making sure that, that your customers and your, your attendees are, are safe, have made the decision to move. What was the, the thinking and, and the, the kind of that, that process for you guys? Well, Tim, firstly, um, as any organizer will tell you, um, you know, you prepare all sort, for all sorts of eventualities. I think I told you once before, I, I, I learned everything about this business from a wonderful guy called Brian Montgomery. And uh, Brian used to be chief, he used to be the president of UFI, the, the organization for trade shows. And he wrote a book called Traps, Minefields and Lacunae. And basically the basis of this book was that almost anything can go wrong in this business. The best thing you can do is prepare for as many eventualities as possible. So that's what we did. And since April, we've had, March, April, we had a reserve date in place. Because one of the things we thought about, even at that time, I mean, to tell the truth, we walked out of uh, Amsterdam saying, oh, this will all be over in a month and we're fine. Uh, when we saw at the end of March, it was still there and still a problem. We said, oh, well, you know, what if? So, you know, speaking with Fira and understanding that if shows are going to be canceled, we're going to get this sort of, ramping up where people are moving to the next date. So you're going to get um, the firstly, it was the last half of 2020. Then it started to be the first part of 2021. And we said, okay, what happens when they start thinking about the second quarter or the second half? Uh, so we reserved the date with Fira as a hold reserve just in case. Um, now, Obviously, we have to keep things like this secret for a long while because there are a lot of things that get affected when that news gets out, as we've seen. Um, so when we got to the stage of uh, thinking, well, you know, things are not getting better, uh, they may still be okay, but they're not going in the direction where we think it could be really, really safe. Uh, so we need to maybe do some preparation. 
So in that stage, we started to actually talk to a number of our exhibitors. And it wasn't just the big guys. Uh, there were a lot of the big guys we didn't talk to. But we talked to a, a cross-section of our customers to say, to get their feeling, just to do that uh, thermometer test, say, well, you know, guys, what do you think? Uh, how's your feeling, etc." What is, is very clear is the industry wants to have in-person events. They really want to get back to having this. They're very keen to see them happening as soon as possible. But there were also concerns, and most of them said, you know, whatever you do, if you stay in February, we'll support you. But we do have our concerns because we're hearing that maybe some of our customers may have problems with still traveling that time, uh, other issues. Um, and we prefer to get a couple of more months uh, breathing space when the weather's better and perhaps, uh, you know, people are not affected by the flu and other issues. Um, so having got that, we then had our discussions to actually say, okay, um, what are the possible dates? And this was something where we said, okay, uh, no, we also asked those companies saying, well, you know, what is your, what dates would you recommend? Uh, and uh, categorically all said middle of the year. Um, and we saw the issue there and said, okay. Uh, so we had a discussion with, um, you know, Dave Labuskis uh, uh, is our um, is chairman of our board. And uh, um, we had Tabitha O'Connor in there, etc. Um, and we also had discussions with Rochelle Richardson, uh, separate things, say, look, you know, there's a challenge here. How do we deal with it? And what are the effects? And we looked at all the statistics. And we looked to see, okay, what is going to be the worst case for both Infocom and ISC by moving the ISC show to the first week of, Je of June. And um, we looked at it and said, okay, that's our worst case. And, you know, when we look at it, firstly, our attendee overlap, um, you know, we only get 4.74% of our attendees come from the USA. Um, and, you know, so we said, okay, the overlap, um, and I think uh, from Europe to uh, to uh, the Infocom show, is probably also only less than 10%. I'm not sure of the exact number, uh, so please, Rochelle, forgive me if I got it wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's not significant enough to cause too much damage. We said, okay, in that case, this is uh, we're not going to lose too many visitors on either side uh, as a result of this. Where the challenge comes is actually our exhibitors. Um, and, you know, we know there are many, 11% um, of ISE's exhibitor base um, is from North America. So it's where the contracts are signed. And this also includes companies like um, Prestron or Bayern or um, QSC, etc., who have personnel and people in Europe. But we said, okay, worst case is they have a challenge on this, whether it's product, whether it's uh, the stand itself. Um, and, uh, you know, we are going to be talking with them to say, how do we solve this? And we have ideas uh, and we'll be having those discussions in the next days. So, you know, we saw this as an issue, but we had to also keep this all under wraps for a long while because once we've made that decision, there are a lot of other negotiations going on that we have to tie down and primarily the hotels. Um, many of our exhibitors and even attendees get these mails from unauthorized uh, hotel agencies who are trying to make money. Sometimes they're legitimate and they're just putting a bit more on top and you end up paying more going to them. And sometimes they're companies who are cheating you. I know people who went to Amsterdam 
and had booked over unofficial agencies and got there and the hotel said, we don't know who you are, we don't have the booking, that happens. Um, so, you know, we try to tie that down before the unauthorized companies get involved and before the hotels, you know, we, you know, we started off discussions and saying, look, this is under consideration and part of the whole package is that you play with us and keep your rates down. We had to do this whole thing when actually stepping on Barcelona as well. We had that negotiation with the hotels to tie them up at reasonable rates. Otherwise, as we all know, hotels and airlines make hay when the sun shines. Oh, yeah, um, and uh, they need to make a lot of hay at the moment um, because uh, they're, not, they're, they're not getting a great to the sunshine. Uh, so, you know, we had to go out and uh, start these negotiations to try and keep those prices. Now, we've managed to actually lock down the majority of hotels with the same rates and conditions that we had for the February date. But unfortunately, because this got out early, before we were ready with those negotiations, we didn't manage to get all of them. So because the ones who we hadn't reached yet, they just sit back and say, well, we're going to get the business anyway. Um, so, you know, that's unfortunate now, but yeah, that's life. Yeah. It happened. It, it, uh, it is. It, it is. I, I do want to hit a couple of different points here. Um, the, the, according to, uh, to Joy Lloyd uh, from Avixa, the, the uh, percentage of, of non-US or, or, or uh, non-North uh, American attendees is all about 11% uh, article in, in uh, AV Network and, and SCN. But talk about that, th th this process, because you mentioned a couple of, of, of premier uh, manufacturers who, who are based in the States, but they do have you know, European contingents. As I mentioned in the outset of this, currently, a, a United States citizen cannot get into the EU. Not to yeah. be silly or, or, or pointed, but Barcelona is in the EU. So is it something where you guys are going to work with exhibitors and, and, uh, and their staff if either you can't get, you know, product or, you, or they simply can't staff a, a booth? And we'll, we'll, we'll point out Crestron for a second. The vast majority of, of the folks um, supporting that, that booth and, and that are in that booth are Americans. Now, they do have European uh, contingent, but they don't have the numbers of, of, that, they, that they do that they bring over. Well, you know, there are two things. When it comes to travel, that's something we just can't influence. As yeah. much as I'd like to say we know some of the right people, no, none of the governments are going to listen to us about, you know, getting you over, Tim. So, unfortunately. Um, so, and this has been actually some of the biggest concerns. Actually, not about getting products or having a booth. It's more about, will I be able to travel? Yeah. And this is one of the reasons for actually moving it back to saying the likelihood of opening up travel is higher in June than it will be in February. Um, and uh, so, you know, this is one of the factors that got into our decision-making. That makes sense. All right, sir, uh, as we all kind of, you know, uh, move into the, the fourth quarter of this very uh, interesting year, <laughs> um, and, and you guys gonna kind of plan for, uh, something else that you've talked about is having a virtual component. And, and I, I wanna, real quickly before I let you go, we, I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, our friends over at AV Magazine had an article about uh, the PLSG um, lighting show. And, and I, I find it fascinating, as you, an exhibit, a, a exhibit um, producer, looking at shows that are already happening this year, uh, you've talked about in several places, Commercial Integrator and others, about having a virtual or a hybrid version of, of ISC. What are some of the things that you're, that you're looking at making sure that you know, folks can still uh, attend and experience some of the things that, are, that they're used to? 
So, you know, I think this is where we've been lucky. We've been able to watch everybody else and what they're doing and learn from that. And, you know, I think everyone in the last quarter have been pioneers in what they've done and actually, you know, coming out and showing things and giving ideas. And, uh, you know, what we've, what we've realized now is that everybody is doing digital events. So there's always this uh, um, online fatigue part of it, you know. Um, what we've learned is attendees don't stay the whole day. You know, so you have to put things into bite-sized packages and just assume, you know, maybe you get 10,000 attendees for the day, but how many of them stay for the whole time? How many of them are just in there for half an hour, one hour, whatever? Um, that's the first thing. The second point is that there needs to be, from the exhibitor point of view, they want to see interaction. They want to see connection with the attendees. Otherwise, there's no value to them. Um, and that part has to be very, very satisfactory. At this stage, I won't make any comments about, um, uh, you know, um, virtual reality and creating uh, um, three-dimensional booths, etc. Because I don't know yet what, you know, is this a gimmick or does it really work? Um, and, you know, these are things we're still learning about and trying to get um, feedback from people to say, what's your experience? What do you think of this? so that we can actually say, do we do that part or not? What we do need, what we do know is that there are elements, the education side works, um, and you know, that's one of the easiest parts for us to produce. Um, the key point will be the value to our customers in creating interaction between them and the visitors and making that interaction valuable um, for both sides. Um, so, and it's trying to make that platform part of it work. Um, we, we think there are lots of elements. I mean, whatever happens from my point of view and from my business point of view, you know, uh, you know, in-person events are what's got to come back and, and happen. And this is what everybody is telling us. The, the virtual part is something which is just because of the situation. There is value to it. And I think long-term we will still have, still have virtual parts to our events. Uh, and we see that we see the advantage of that. Um, and I hope that within, I can tell you at the moment, we have not finalized our decision on what platform or exactly what we're going to do. Because every time we get close to saying we want to do that, something else happens. We say, oh, we didn't think of that. Uh, so we said, okay, we, we want to take our time to make sure we can produce the best possible solution. Um, and that's why we haven't been able to announce and say, this is how the IC virtual platform is going to look. Um, but certainly it will, be, it will be a hybrid event. Um, what we will be doing is in the lead up is engaging with our uh, customers um, on both sides and we're trying to bring them together in a series of uh, virtual events leading up to ISE. And um, again, we're still um, working on our platform. We're talking to um, various people and ideas particularly our conference uh, partners in bringing some of these people in beforehand to give, give a bit of taste of what's coming at ISE in June. Um, so, we, you know, we've got a lot of ideas and we see it as a test of leading up to what we actually do at ISE as well. You know, a bit more practice to, to get it perfect. Um, so, you know, we have a lot, lot in place, a lot planning, a lot that hasn't been finalized, um, but we still, now we have more time. Uh, not a great deal of time, but we have some more time to do this. Um, and, uh, you know, we're excited. 
Um, I've got a fully motivated team behind me. Uh, the rest of the ISE team are still very, very excited about delivering a show for this market in 2021. Very good. Mike Blackman from uh, ISE, Integrated System Jerk. Thank you, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you uh, or ISE? So you can reach me at uh, mblackman at iseurope.org. Please, iseurope, not ISE Europe. <laughs> Common mistake for many people. Or um, I'm on Twitter at uh, uh, underscore um, ISE underscore Mike. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me most places. All right. Thank you, Mr. Blackman. Uh, to continue the conversation is my panel for this week. First and foremost, Megan Dutta from SCN and AV Network. Welcome, ma'am. Hi. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Also, Mr. Michael Peebler from Atlas IED. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Tim. And last but not least, uh, an, an industry veteran who's been around uh, around the block once or twice, Mr. Brad Grimes. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. All right. So I don't know who to start with, to be quite frank. I'll start with Megan. Uh, we'll do ladies first. Um, we're looking at this. You just heard Mr. Blackman. You technically were the first publication to have the story about the postponement moment. This postponement, easy for me to say. Um, what do you make of this? What do we make of this this development? Um, I think it's really interesting. I have lots of different takes on it. it. It's interesting to me that Avixa is positioning it as that these are regional shows because that hasn't been the way they've said it in the past. They've tried to embrace a global community and especially with their reorg. I know that's one of the things I talked to Sarah Joyce that she was trying to do was to make it a more global association. And I think this might be a hindrance for them in doing that. I understand why they did it. Every, obviously, everybody wants to be safe, but I think there's lots of questions for attendees. And you know, they say there's not much crossover for attendees, but especially there's lots of questions for exhibitors like Atlas IED. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, um, they're they are they are um, statistically correct about the the lack of, of crossover or the small amount of crossover when it comes to attendees. However, Mr. Peebler, there's a fair amount of crossover when it comes to manufacturing, yeah. uh, especially the exhibitors. So what sort of pressure uh, does this kind of, this, does this put on, on your organization, on other manufacturers who have a predominantly American, you know, US-centric um, facilities and US-centric support system that do go to other countries to, uh, to exhibit? Yeah, it's, it's a blow. Um, I don't know how else to say it. it. It's really tough for a company our size to, to figure out how to manage resources, a new product if we're trying to introduce something brand new and, you know, and show it at both shows. Or how do we get gear from one place to another in time? We're going to be finger crossed making sure everything gets there. Trying to support that from a trade show entity for a company like Atlas ID where we have multiple divisions. Um, they're supported by the same marketing group. And so uh, that group doesn't have the resources to do those two shows. And by the way, just to throw a kink in, it's not for a lot of manufacturers. I realize that, but we have a big relationship with Cisco and Cisco live is the week in between the two. So that's literally our three biggest events, three weeks in a row. So from a cost standpoint, from a resource standpoint, from a build standpoint, um, it's tough. And I'll just, I'll speak one more side on it. You know, for Atlas ID in particular, 
obviously, again, as you mentioned, our predominant audience is here in the United States, but we have made significant investments in growing our international market over the last few years. And, and just within the last year, brought on some really world-class distributors. And so we want to do everything we can to support them. Um, and the decision and the timing, and, and again, I want to echo what Megan says, we get it. We understand that the change had to happen. We understand that safety overrides everything else. I've been to ISE many, many times. I've seen the growth. I've seen the, the international aspect of that show grow. Um, I've seen a lot of U.S. dealers come because they can walk the show floor without being interrupted. They're not taking their customers around so they can truly go see all the manufacturers. They're going to struggle to do that this year because um, they're going to have to feel safe doing it and then, and then hope they can come back in the country without quarantining or whatever it's going to be at that point. So, but as a manufacturer, it's a real challenge to give our support to our European and, and global partners that we focused on building and also give our, our traditional show and approach to our U.S. side. Um, we're literally going to be flying from show to show, setting up and hoping we can make that all work. It's, it's Michael, that's actually, the quarantining is a really good point that I hadn't thought of. It, it, if the, four, like, let's say a 14-day quarantine is still in effect, yeah. you literally would not be able to do both shows. Yeah, it's a, ma it's a major kink. And look, if we're in a world where we're still having to do 14-day quarantines, who knows what's happening, right? I mean, I think that it puts, it changes the whole conversation and, and none of us can see in the future and, and understand what that looks like. But uh, yeah, again, I can tell you since the announcement, our resources, our teams have been scrambling to try to figure out what's the best decision to take care of our customers first and foremost. And then what do we have the resources to be able to do within those confines? Because we, again, we've made a lot of investment in, our channels uh, here in the United States and abroad. And we want to make sure they get equal exposure to product and new introductions and, and our teams. But how do we do that and kind of be in two places at the same time and do a Cisco live event in the middle of that? Uh, yeah, I, I want to, I don't want you to gloss over that either, uh, Michael, because that, that is still a significant show as yeah. more and more, um, manufacturers in the AV space get into the IC space. That is one that, that a lot of them go to, not just Atlas IED, but a right. number of them. So you've got three weeks in a row. You've got 21 days there where um, manufacturers and exhibitors are going to need to be in two places at once, quite frankly. Um, so it'll be something to watch. The other thing, and, and I'll, I'm going to let Brad kind of chime in on this, but as, as we all understand that we don't know what's going to happen, we can't see the future because if we could have, I would have gone to like Saturn or something for the year. Um, or the next two years, who knows. Uh, but there was a report this week from the CDC saying that the first round of vaccine most likely would not be as effective and we might even be looking into the third quarter of 2021. In addition, something else that Michael said was the 14-day quarantine. What you said was, was currently uh, couldn't even happen, Michael, because we, as Americans, can't get into the EU. Oh, exactly. Right? So there's an assumption there that, that that will be lifted between now and then. There's no guarantee of that, right? Um, so Brad, I want to get your, your two cents from, from both from the guy that used to be inside, you know, of Vixen helping put together Infocom, but also since, as somebody who's, who's covered the industry for quite a while. What does this move mean for Infocom specifically, right? Because it's the very next show, but also for Cedia, for the Digital Signage Summit that, that uh, Integrated Systems also puts on in, in July, 
the other events that kind of surround ISE. I mean, ISE is the Integrated Systems Europe. The show itself is one entity that happens during that week. Now you have several other sort of supporting um, groups that come in and, and, and have other events surrounding that. Now they've got to figure out whether or not they can even be there in the first week of June. Well, I mean, what's happening here is not unique to the AV space, the technology space, meetings. People are trying to figure out how to meet in every industry all over the world. Um, I, you know, I did find it interesting that they ended up with, with these two shows in June. Um, we don't know what it'll be like in June. Um, the fact that, they, that, that, they're, that they're sort of calling these regional shows right now is less about their goal for these shows. I mean, like Megan said, we intended these to be global shows and we had lots of people from all over the world attending each. Um, but the fact that it's likely to be a regional show this year and therefore you can have two regional shows in the same month is mostly out of necessity is, you know, the things we're talking about, you can't get into one place or you can't get into another. So out of necessity, some of these things are going to be regional shows. I mean, for, for this year, that's not, it's not the long-term goal by any stretch. I can't imagine. Um, you know, Sarah's in charge of, uh, of, of making, uh, of projecting a Vixel worldwide. Um, what's going to happen in June? What's going to happen with all these other shows that they're going to smart people are going to try their hardest to figure all of this out. Um, they're actually, while there's some minor, um, crossover in attendees between the two shows, there are actually a lot of manufacturers that go to one or the other and not, and, and don't overlap. There are big ones that do overlap, obviously. Um, but you can have a robust European AV trade show with hundreds of exhibitors and thousands of attendees, provided that everybody can get in there safely. And you can do the same in North America with Infocom. Um, it's not the, to, uh, to the scale as they were before, but this isn't a year like any other either. Um, so, you know, I was, I was a little surprised to see them both end up in June. Um, but let's face it. I mean, th this, is, uh, this is part of the business that uh, Avixa is in. Uh, they run great trade shows, and then they reinvest the money that they raise from those trade shows into things like certification, into training, into professionalizing the industry. Um, and that's the business that they're in. And so it's in their interest to try to figure out how to accomplish these things, not only in Barcelona, but also in Orlando, and then eventually... Uh, Las Vegas. And so when they see an opportunity, they've got to, they've got to, you know, pencil it in. Nothing's in pen. Um, and they need to try to strive for that goal. Um, will these, will either or both of them happen in June? I don't know. You, you know I mean, Tim, you cited things that, that are going on in the, in the larger world that, that put everything in question. The CDC saying we're not getting vaccines until Q3. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But I, I, I get, I don't envy the decisions they have to make and the efforts that they have to take. And I certainly don't envy what uh, the manufacturers or the press or the attendees have to figure out. Um, we just know what we want. We all want to get together and have a good trade show. That's an interesting point about maybe it not happening. Tim and I were actually talking that about that offline yesterday. Like, are we stressing out for nothing? Because at the end of the day, we don't really know that it will be even feasible to have large gatherings by June of next year. Yeah. And that, that is one of the things in, in talking with some manufacturer friends is they, to, to Michael's point, they have to do their due, due, their due diligence. Um, contracts have been signed. Let's be frank. Right. Um, and there is already money on the table from both a side 
integrated system side, but also from the manufacturer side. If they were planning on being in Barcelona in February, there has been money changing hands. The question is, is what do those contracts say? And, and you know, who, who gets uh, covered if something happens? Um, something that I, I'm not privy to, uh, and I, I, we've not talked in detail with, with manufacturers about this. It's something that'll be interesting to see as this kind of develops. And I do think it'll be ongoing uh, and it will develop uh, over the next couple of months because let's be frank, if we as Americans can't get into the EU, that presents integrated systems with an entirely different set of problems. Um, and that's something that they'll have to, they'll have to cover. I mean, you can only plan. I'm sorry, Michael. Go no, ahead. go ahead, Brad. Go ahead. You can only plan for what you can what you can hope for. I mean, sure. yeah. too much of this is out of your hands, out of my hands, out of their hands. I mean, all you need is a you know a raging party somewhere to suddenly you know you know throw a certain part of the country back five steps. It's just it's out of a lot of people's hands. So so I admire them trying to figure this out. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I I just want to jump real quick on what Brad was saying the first time. Just. I, I don't want to sound like we think the sky is falling. That's not the case, right? It's not Panicsville and, and we'll, we'll, to Tim's point, we have to go through and build contingencies of what we can do, how we manage our, how we manage our budget, how we manage our personnel, you know, our CEO, like most, I think, has made it clear that the safety and welfare of the employees uh, comes first right? We're a private company. We're a family-owned company. So we aren't facing some of the economic pressures that others might be facing um, from an investor standpoint or, or whatever. And so we, you know, our CEO has been very clear that he's not going to send anybody out that's not A, comfortable going out and B, is not safe. And so, so we'll, we'll take a uh, measured approach, but we do have to build contingencies. And in doing that, we were just disappointed that it, the timing ended up where it did. It won't be the ISC. This year wasn't the ISC that we all knew and loved, right? We all know that. Um, um, next year or this coming year isn't going to be the ISC we all know and love. Hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe the next year is and we're back to normal. Um, and Megan can come off of her jet that's circling the world to keep her safe. I mean, I, I don't know how, how that works exactly, but uh, it's, it's like the Britney version of an AWAC. It is. It is. It is beautiful. It's, it's great. I love it. But, but I mean, we hope that's what it is. But in the meantime, we have to plan for how we best service to see our customers and to, and, and we're trying to do that remotely like everybody else is. And we're using our, our international distributors and, and it may be something that they have to run one show and we have to run an, I don't know. Everything's on the table, right? This is a year it seems to be the business model, right? 20, 21 years in the industry and you just kind of wad it up, throw it out the window and go, okay, put it all on the table and we're going to look at this different because what's a different way of doing this, right? I've been in my home for seven months. My family keeps looking at me like, you're still here? Like we live right by the airport. Shouldn't you be on a plane? And, <laughs> that that was the thing for those of you who don't who don't know, Mike, Michael lives in, in Dallas and actually it was was moving in the midst of some of this to get closer to DFW. So. And I've driven past it a number of times. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, and, and we, we, were, we were very honored at, at AV Nation to, to help them produce a, a launch video uh, that we did. He drove up, actually, and he didn't fly. He actually drove up from Dallas. So very interesting. Uh, and for those of you who aren't watching the video, uh, Megan's virtual background is, is which video is that, Megan? Britney Spears Toxic. Toxic. So there you go. You can look it up and you can imagine in your head 
what her background is. All right, enough of the doom and gloom. Let's move on. Uh, well, not really. Uh, from Commercial Integrator, a look at the touchless uh, enterprise. Very interesting things. By the time this, this, this posts on Monday, uh, I'll be in the midst of, of heading down to a, a webinar I'm hosting for, um, for Avixa on programming uh, and the future of programming. One of those aspects is looking at the future of the touch panel and whether or not uh, it's actually dead. I get to ask a bunch of programmers whether or not the, the centerpiece of, the, of their programming life is dead. So that's going to be fun. Uh, but the, from uh, Commercial Integrator, the BYOM, bring your own meeting, the brand new term that is supplanting BYOD, be, uh, bring your own device in the age of COVID. Now companies like Mersive and others are looking into how accomplishing this, how to accomplish this without sharing devices. Mr. Peebler, uh, you guys just, I just mentioned the fact that, that we helped you do a, a launch. You have a new product out uh, that has um, a touchless control as an option. Why was that important as you guys were developing that? Well, part of it was the applications that, they, that the product designed to be installed in. So we needed multiple user interfaces with different levels of capability and access available. But obviously, it became a much more important piece of the solution um, when COVID uh, kicked in and everybody was so concerned about sharing touch. So personalized user interface on your own device um, became a really powerful piece of the new solution. It was always necessary, but it, it really just escalated in, in its level of importance uh, to the people who are using our system because it, they don't have to share it and it can be truly personalized to the level of access. So uh, a manager or a facility manager might have a greater level of access and more features, right? More buttons on their, on their user interface than uh, a manager or an employee uh, below them, uh, who's just, who's using the system. So that was important. And, and just for the record, you know, having spent 17 years at AMX, the last two part of Harman, um, that whole question of if is the touch panel dead, uh, that question has been being asked for 15, 20 years. I think it's, it's different now with COVID, but, uh, but, but this is a topic near and dear to my heart for, for so many years of my time in the industry. So. And AMX, just for the record, has has produced one of the the sexiest touch panels uh, ever in the Madero, in my opinion. Yep. And every time they ask that question, Michael, I will agree with you. However, it's a different set, setup than when voice came out, right? Oh yeah. Look, look the, the space has changed, and I remember when iPad became really popular, and everybody yep. was going to go put it on iPad, and and we started selling like a lot of companies. We partnered with somebody that could license and the iPad and we were selling licenses and then they all started coming back and we were surprised candidly and why we were the reason they were all coming back is is it was universities who were going to let their professors just have the management system the touch panel on their iPad came back and they figured out that the iPad didn't have the security for, to meet the network requirements so it wasn't the interface it was the device didn't meet the network security requirements so touch panel cells went right back up right yeah. Um, so we've seen some evolution and the work that Mersive's doing, having then gone to, we present, which was acquired by Barco and then bought a couple of times, um, the work that Mersive's doing and, and, and the article that you're referencing and, and the work that, uh, Christopher's doing over there, it's really impressive. I mean, he's taken a wireless presentation solution and is really turning it into something incredible, pow incredibly powerful, tying it into booking and personalized UI. It's, it's, it's very impressive. 
Yeah, absolutely. If you're, and if you're not following Christopher James on, which is the Christopher he's talking about on, on Twitter, you should smart, smart guy. Uh, Mr. Grimes, uh, you've, I, I mentioned the fact that you've covered the industry for a long time and, and Michael's right. Uh, they've had this, we've had this question before, but where do we see, where do we see this touchless move moving movement heading, uh, in control, whether it's in classrooms or, or corporate or wherever? Well, if touch is supposed to go away, I should stop touching things when I go out in, in the world. I mean, you're not supposed to touch I went, anything. I went to an ATM. Your mouth, your head. I, I've been checking out at grocery stores and touching things, and then you go wash your hands after. So I get it. Um, I understand that um, you know there's health solutions out there that that will uh, address people's concerns with different vectors of viruses and whatever. And virus. I don't know that touch is going to go away. That said. Um, these sort of bring your own meetings, bring your own workspaces that are triggered by your personal devices and linked to all things. Um, yeah, we've been talking about these for a few years too. And I mean, the best news is it's doable, right? It, it, right. The best news is that the te technology exists to enable this. So it's something that's been looking for a use case. Um, before COVID existed, we, you know, we were envisioning walking to a meeting space and having this, this space recognize your your smartphone and, mm -hmm. and pull up your calendar and activate everything. And it's going to have 25 people, 10 of them are going to be remote. It activates. Uh, so, um, and it's doable. And that's, that's the great thing about technology. And, and frankly, this industry, because it's at this intersection of so many different things, building systems and AV and IT is uniquely positioned to, to create these things. I mean, that's, that's where we got into the integration business. Um, so will it happen? Yeah, it, it could. And I think there will be a lot of proof of concepts and there are a lot of be people willing to try it. There will be pe people willing to try, bring your own meeting and bring your own work workplace. If for no other reason, then it's convenient, but also because then you don't have to touch something if you don't want to. Um, but that's separate from touchless because I don't think touch is going to go away. Um, you know, don't hold me to that. If everybody starts touching things and getting sick, um, but there's other, there's other safe ways to conduct yourself in the workplace or the education space or anything like that. Um, but I think it's cool. I, I, think, I think it's cool that there are these types of, I mean, you can you know, point QR code scanners at things now on digital signage and, and pull up the map on your, on your phone rather than have to touch anything like that. I mean, those things are, are viable and, and, and you know, this industry will go a long way towards uh, you know, realizing those things. Yeah, the, this has has brought back the 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 lowly uh, QR code because you can do that for virtually anything now, including menus. Yeah. Uh, Megan, from where you sit, you see a lot of, of technology and, and folks coming through this. One of the things that's interesting is is the developments that folks have have made. Um, Michael mentioned Barco. Barco has has for years made uh, the ClickShare, you know, uh, a huge huge um, meeting and collaboration uh, system for them. It was a puck. It was a puck that you plugged in the USB. In the last six months, they've started saying, oh, wait, you don't have to have a puck. You can do it with software, right? So even them who have, who have again, you know, made, made, made um, you know, great strides in the collaboration movement are even saying, you know, you don't necessarily have to have this. So, so where do you see the touch versus touchless going? I think what's kind of interesting about this is that we've been talking about, and specifically in meeting rooms, the personalization of AV, the ease of use for the end user for bring your own device. Like 
you have a CEO saying, why can't I just do this for my iPhone? Why do I have to use that panel? And I think this is kind of forcing us into this. And I know we've been very resistant as an industry to voice control, but I think we're going to start seeing solutions that incorporate that because it makes everybody, whether it actually is safer or not, it makes them feel safer. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, that is going to do, be a good place to stop. Thank you all so much. Uh, Mr. Peebler, thank you, sir. Yep, thank you. How do people get a hold of you or Atlas IED? Uh, Michael.Peebler at atlasied.com or www.atlasied.com and Twitter and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. It's just Michael Peebler. Not okay. hard to find. Not a lot of us. Well, <laughs> I, I only know one, so it's you. There you go. Uh, Megan Dutta, thank you. Thanks for having me. You can find all the latest and greatest AV news at avnetwork.com. And including in the next few weeks, we'll have more interviews with Avixa on the ISE Infocom debacle, I'll say. You can find us on Twitter at SCNMag, and you can find me on Twitter at Megan A. Detta. That's Megan A. Detta. That's, that, that's who you want to, yeah. All right, Mr. Grimes, thank you, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me, everybody. It's good to talk to you all. How do people get a hold of you if they'd like to? Oh, I still have my lurking Twitter handle. So I, I, I watch what y'all are saying and you can DM me there. It's uh, at bgrimesdc. So uh, that's probably the best way to find me. That's not creepy at all. Just for the No, it's not. All right. And you, you should also hire him. He's a really great writer. Uh, for us, for AV Nation, uh, for me, don't, don't follow me on the Twitters. Uh, by the time this happens, the Bears have probably lost their first game. Uh, but they're playing the Giants, so probably not. Uh, but go by the go, website. Go stars. Go stars. Well, yeah. Well, go stars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have no. I've. I've all. All the kind of love in the world for the stars because Brett Hall won his only Stanley Cup with them. So, uh, the website avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Uh, you'll find programs like this and a host of others. We just spent the week uh, covering virtual CDS, so you'll find all sorts of interviews there, including one that Matt did with Lutron about some new initiatives they were doing. So all that and more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Mm -hmm.